Hello, Riverside, San Bernardino, Inland Empire, and listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We're broadcasting from our flagship station, KCAA, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. If you're located in the Southern California Inland Empire, you'll find us on KCAA 1050 on the AM dial. But if not, you can find us streaming on kcaaradio.com or talkstreamlive.com. You can also hear our program rebroadcast on Liberty Works Radio Network at libertyworksradionetwork.com or on Red State Talk Radio at redstatetalkradio.com. And you can check their websites for broadcast days and times. Also, don't forget you can always find podcasts posted on kcaaradio.com to listen at your leisure. And you can learn more about our show at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. David has become a nationally recognized writer and authority on the intersection of food, health, and business by virtue of his widely acclaimed book, The Raw Milk Revolution, Behind America's Emerging Battle Over Food Rights, as well as his popular blog, The Complete Patient, and his many articles about food rights on grist.org and the Huffington Post. As a former reporter with the Wall Street Journal and editor at Inc. and Harvard Business Review, Gummert has brought his considerable investigative and journalistic experience and business expertise to his latest book, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And if you would, help me welcome David Gumpert. How are you doing today, David? Very good. Good to be here. Good. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to talk about this important issue. And David, I just wondered if you would start by telling the listeners just how did you become involved in food rights? In specific, what led you to the writing of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights? Well, I have spent many years as a journalist covering small business and entrepreneurship. I uh, kind of carved out a specialty uh, some years ago, and I've written a number of books on how to start a business and um, how to run a small business, how to raise money. Um, So this was kind of a natural subject for me. Uh, Back in uh, 2005, 2006, I was writing more and more about small holistically oriented businesses, and I began learning about the U.S. Food and Drug Administration cracking down on uh, small dairies selling raw milk. And I did, knew very little about raw milk and about farming, but I did, did know that farms are small businesses. And uh, I also knew from my experience that it's unusual for the government to crack down so harshly on a particular industry, uh, unless there's some some reason, and uh, I couldn't really, uh, at least immediately, figure out the reason. All I knew was that the uh, the FDA was uh, and 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 state agriculture agencies were launching sting operations and uh, undercover investigations and uh, uh, all kind raids and and all kinds of things against small farms. Uh, to me. Uh, farmers have always been, I don't know, some, somehow um, sacrosanct or somehow very uh, uh, important people. Um, I have a lot of respect for what farmers can 
do and what they do do. Maybe because I don't, uh, I'm, I'm a city person. I've never really uh, had much uh, involvement in growing food. It's a little like auto mechanics. I, I, I don't, uh, not very mechanical, and I have a lot of respect for people who can fix cars and, um, and that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and so I became more and more interested. The more I looked at it, the the more unsettling and disturbing uh, the whole situation seemed to me. It just, uh, and I still uh, find it pretty outrageous uh, because there, there, from uh, everything I can tell, and I've studied uh, the data and I've studied uh, a lot of these cases very closely. Um, there isn't any obvious reason for the agencies, regulators, to be cracking down as hard as they are. Uh, they say it's about food safety. They say it's about protecting people from um, dangerous food, and yet uh, many of the um, farmers they're cracking down on um, have not had any, had any uh, uh, instances of people getting sick from their food and uh, never had any uh, examples of, of uh, public health people finding pathogens in their, in their milk or anything like that. And, and um, uh, so, and I'm, so I, I, I just uh, uh, became more, more and more interested in, and found in a lot of these cases uh, there is um, a lot of, I would say, a lot of uh, prejudice that has built up over many years against uh, uh, raw milk. And uh, there's also um, a lot of fear-mongering around food safety that isn't always warranted, um, and then I've, I've also uh, came to realize that the big corporations are actively involved, and they they are experiencing, uh, or at least they are viewing many of these small farms, which are are, are attracting more and more customers. Uh, they're viewing them as a threat, mm -hmm. and uh, so um, those diff those factors kind of got me involved in okay. uh, uh, looking into it more and more. Why do you think that there is an increase in interest in organic and visiting farmers markets, buying raw, uh, raw milk, etc.? Why do you think that is on the uh, rise? Well, I think there's a growing disillusionment with the uh, what I call the public food system or the uh, factory food system. Uh, people are becoming more and more concerned about health problems that are coming up and beginning to make the association with uh, those health problems, chronic health problems like uh, asthma and diabetes and Crohn's and those kinds of problems, and the food that they're eating. Uh, now, those aren't necessarily the only causes of some of these conditions, but uh, uh, people are, are finding that when they switch, to a uh, more um, uh, what we call nutrient-dense diet that uh, oftentimes their health improves and some of these conditions abate. Uh, just as, as a, one example, um, there have been a couple of large-scale studies out of Europe that show pretty uh, clearly an association between raw milk and declines in childhood asthma and childhood allergies. So um, people are beginning to learn about these these 
kinds of studies, and they're learning, they're hearing from friends who are having good experiences, and so they are more and more there uh, doing what I call exiting the uh, conventional food system. Do you think because uh, food regulators are putting more fear into small farmers, do you think this is actually maybe on the other side fueling the food rights movement, or are they really scaring these people? That's a good question. Uh, their intent, obviously, is to scare the farmers when they do an undercover investigation and, and then launch a court suit. Uh, the intent is to not only uh, frighten the farmer, but to frighten other farmers and make them think twice about uh, selling food directly to individuals, because that, that's really what's at the heart of, of all these cases. These, these are farmers that are uh, selling food directly to uh, consumers, uh, to buy, uh, members of a buying club, members of a herd share, and, um, and so they are bypassing the commodity food system. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and as a result, they're getting much better prices for their, uh, for their food. So um, just as one example, when a, a farmer sells milk into the commodity food system, uh, the farmer will get between a dollar fifty and two fifty a gallon. Mm -hmm. When the farmer sells directly to individual consumers, he might charge uh, eight dollars, ten dollars, or twelve dollars a gallon. Wow. That, that changes the entire economics of farming for dairy farmers. Right. That when they can suddenly get uh, three or four times what they've been accustomed to getting for their product, uh, because suddenly uh, instead of um, being able instead of kind of being in a subsistence uh, living uh, where they can barely eke out a profit, suddenly they can earn a regular kind of a living just like uh, other people. Mm -hmm. And um, So that that's uh, a, a big part of, um, uh, of what goes on. But um, I, I think that uh, the what happens in the end with these cases, it's really, it's kind of counterintuitive. You would say, you think, well, all these farmers are being scared off and then all their all the farmers who, who see this are being scared off. But um, what happens is that uh, consumers have learned when they read about these incidents of government crackdowns, government raids, government court suits against small farms, uh, they are reacting more and more by supporting the farmers. Right. And so uh, when a farm is shut down uh, for, um, say, as a result of a raid, when the farm reopens, say two weeks later, three weeks later, uh, they find that their business is uh, better than ever, and uh, then and, and that kind of um, I think that that's kind of uh, frustrating the uh, government regulators and the corporate backers who are encouraging them, uh, because um, uh, rather than intimidating a lot of farmers and trying to scare them out of business, it's doing just the opposite. It's not only encouraging those farmers, it's attracting more farmers, more would-be farmers, more young people to get into farming because uh, they see that it is possible to earn a living if you uh, sell directly within your community. Mm -hmm. Okay, David, well, it's time to take our first break. Listeners, today my guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, in the Pursuit of Food Rights, and we'll be back momentarily on the True Seekers Radio
For thousands of years, people from the Brazilian rainforest have used the Asahi berry for its amazing health benefits. Now we've learned it's also an amazing weight loss supplement. If you're looking to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds or more, then the Ultimate Asahi Diet may be your solution. The Ultimate Asahi Diet is loaded with pure organic Asahi extract powder and other great herbs like hudia and green tea. You'll burn fat, control your appetite, and get an energy surge like you've never felt before. If you want to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds, order the Ultimate Asahi Diet right now. We'll even give you a free bottle when you order two, plus give you free shipping. Call 800-430-4147, Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Let TalkStream Live transform the way you listen to radio. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream now available in the iTunes App Store. In a nation that has lost its way, Essays in Liberty is an important work. There has never been a time since the American Revolution that has called for a greater effort in teaching the principles of liberty. The vast majority of America has become liberty illiterate. Help revive our founders' vision of a constitutional representative republic. Fight for freedom today. Essays in Liberty will equip you to do just that. Order Dr. David Berman's latest book, Essays in Liberty, at smellthetruth.com. That's smellthetruth.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the True Seekers Radio Show. Today, my guest is David Gumper, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And David, I want to read a paragraph. It was early on in your book, page 23. And the reason I'm doing this is because I really think for people that might not be aware of just how extreme some of these measures are, I think this really makes the point. I mean, I was shocked when I read it, so I just want to read it real quick. It says, on December 1st, 2008, officers from the Lorraine County Sheriff's Office dressed in full tactical armor arrived at the home of the club owners in LaGrange outside Cleveland with Lorraine County Health Department and Ohio Department of Agriculture inspectors with weapons drawn and trained on one owner, Jacqueline Stowers, her in-laws and eight small children, Stowers was homeschooling. The officers herded the family into the home living room and kept them under armed guard for about seven hours. The agriculture and health inspectors executed a search warrant taking cell phones, three computers, business records, and a year's worth of frozen meat mostly lamb from the Stowers' own herd. Jacqueline's husband, John Stowers, was out running errands when the raiding party arrived. The, foods, the food club's offense, failure to obtain <clears throat> excuse me, a retail license. Jacqueline Stowers told me that at the time, she had received notification a year earlier that she needed a license. 
And when she wrote back to question it based on Mana Storehouse being a private membership organization, she didn't receive a response until the raiding party showed up. So, David, do you really think um, when they're dealing with Americans and these people really just want, if I, if I read your book right, they just really want to fill a need in their own community. There's obviously a market there for these products. But why are they being treated like terrorists? I mean, is this, in your opinion, is this really just about control or what's at the heart of this? Well, I think it's important to think back to the way things used to work, the way we used to obtain food. And this goes back to the days before uh, the end of World War II. Read, read about it or heard from your grandparents or whatever, uh, great-grandparents, uh, people obtain their food pretty much uh, this way, by privately, by going either growing it themselves or trading with uh, neighboring farmers. If they lived in the city, they might go out to farm stands, they go to local merchants that trade directly with uh, small farms. And so it, it, was, um, it was pretty much a community, uh, private kind of, a, of a, an affair. And uh, after... Um, the end of World War II, 1950s, 1960s, we saw uh, this transition over to what I call a public food system and, and um, uh, the big supermarkets and the box stores uh, that uh, uh, sold the new, this, this food that's um, being produced on a, on a factory-like basis. Um, somehow in that whole process and that whole transition, we... I kind of forgot about this uh, traditional way of obtaining food. And uh, so now when people are trying to return to that way of buying food, uh, and they are finding that uh, the, there's this whole system that has kind of grown up that uh, has no recollection uh, and no interest in this whole way of, of obtaining food. And it's just concerned about a whole mass of regulations that uh, that. Uh, they want to enforce and they feel that they uh, need to enforce. And among these regulations is uh, for the people that you just read about in, in Ohio uh, was uh, this whole need, uh, perceived need to have a retail license. And it's um, uh, kind of came to be understood among the regulators that there is no private food system. Rather, the whole system is public. Uh, and if you choose to sell food, no matter how you do it, you are somehow part of this uh, public system and you need a retail license first and foremost. You need maybe a food handler's license if that's what they have. Uh, you might need uh, some kind of um, a, a dairy license if you're selling milk or, or dairy processor license. And, and with each of these licenses there are all kinds of requirements about having certain kinds of facilities, uh, certain kinds of, uh, uh, of um, buildings and uh, separate bathrooms, uh, so on and so forth. So, David, you even said that these government crackdowns, they try to justify it by calling safety, okay? But what I don't understand is how can they possibly use the safety argument when they're allowing foods to be sprayed with countless pesticides, injecting animals with antibiotics, and God even knows what else, 
And then the feeds that they're giving animals are GMO, garbage. So in, has it been, in your experience, have you seen anybody in this movement try to counter their safety argument? Well, I think you, you have to understand here that what's uh, going on is that the regulators, the public health community, the agriculture regulators, are defining safety in a very narrow way. And what they're doing is they're defining safety as being a function of whether food contains certain pathogens or not. Mm -hmm. And that's really their only criteria. And as you suggested, the, the, the fact that food may contain antibiotic residues, may contain uh, uh, un unnecessary hormones, may contain um, GMO ingredients, genetically modified ingredients, those kinds of factors don't play in. And in fact, um, they don't, are irrelevant as far as the public health and food safety people are concerned. And so um, uh, they just, uh, uh, it makes their job simpler. Uh, and also what it does is it, um, it allows the regulation to be in a, done on a very narrow basis and, and doesn't really interfere with the big corporate factory systems. Just to, just to kind of um, build on that, uh, let's say, uh, and this is an issue that's come up a lot, uh, let's say that um, the FDA decided that, uh, that uh, corporations raising uh, pigs and chickens and the cattle uh, could not indiscriminately feed those animals antibiotics, because that's what happens now. They're just uh, fed antibiotics uh, and mass mm -hmm. uh, to help them grow faster and to prevent disease in the facilities in which they are raised because they're, they're so un, unsanitary and overcrowded. And let's say the, the FDA said, you know, from now on, uh, uh, these antibiotics can only be administered uh, to animals that are sick and not to just uh, to animals that are okay. That would require that these corporations make huge changes in the way they uh, raise uh, farm animals, and it would uh, no doubt increase their costs tremendously because all of a sudden they'd have to uh, have the animals uh, raised outside on grass, as one example, uh, rather than crowding them all together and, and, and force-feeding them. Uh, they would have to uh, expend more land to raising the animals. Uh, they would just have to change their whole operation uh, back to a more traditional kind of opera, uh, food raising or animal raising operation. And uh, they don't want to do that and, and, um, because it's, it, it would cost a lot of money. So uh, the, the way the uh, FDA deals with it is they, they have what are called voluntary guidelines about antibiotics. And they are suggesting to the corporations that they not use antibiotics so much. Well, that doesn't uh, go very far, and mm -hmm. they just keep uh, using uh, the same amount or more uh, uh, that they've always been using. So um, it's a uh, it, it's it's a convenient mechanism to define food safety so narrowly, uh, and it serves the corporate purposes real well. Okay. Well, David, it's time to take our second break. Uh, listeners, today our guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights, and we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show.
When you struggle with credit card bills every month, you're not just in debt. Debt is all around you. I see people every day that are on the brink. They're going to go over the edge, and at the bottom is bankruptcy, and we pull them back. At the Debt Helpline, we're experts at helping you resolve your debt problems and become free of debt. We can help you pay off your debt and give you one lower monthly payment that you can afford. You do get to consolidate your payments. You only have to worry about making one payment a month instead of making three or four or five. If you have $5,000, $10,000 or more in credit card bills, call the Debt Helpline now for a free confidential debt analysis. 800-948-6817. 800-948-6817. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-948-6817, 800-948-6817. Millions take comfort in God's Word on a daily basis. But what about the ones who cannot hear these precious words of truth? Where would I find hope? Imagine God's Word in the tongue of those who thirst for the same hope you enjoy on a daily basis. You can help them experience the same blessings you take for granted. This book is like a GPS system. I turn to it to chart my course as I begin each new day. Help someone hear God's Word for the first time by becoming a Wycliffe Associates volunteer and take part in the goal of Vision 2025, helping start a Bible translation in every language that needs one by the year 2025. Find out more by calling 800-THE-WORD. Who will show me the way? Make a difference and help share the hope of God's living word. Call 1-800-THE-WORD. That's 800-843-9673. Or go to our website at WycliffeAssociates.org and find out how you can become a Wycliffe Associates volunteer. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. Today, my guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And David, before we go any further, would you mind giving some contact information or your website to the listeners? Sure. I write a blog that is called thecompletepatient.com, just the way it sounds, except it's all like one word, thecompletepatient.com. And uh, uh, people can find information about uh, obtaining the book. They can link right to it and make a purchase. And also, they can contact me directly from there. Okay. David, can you tell us a little bit about what the Food Safety Modernization Act is that was passed in 2010? The Food Safety Modernization Act was passed in late 2010, as you say, and it was signed into law by President Obama in early 2011. And it's a very significant piece of legislation. It took a, uh, some years to put together and uh, get it through Congress. And it, it, it was uh, passed in response to what is perceived of as a food safety crisis. Uh, and uh, that, that we have um, all kinds of of illnesses from tainted food, uh, pathogens in food, and uh, we need to crack down on food producers and farmers and force them to uh, clean up their operations so that um, 
there are uh, fewer illnesses. It also uh, uh, provides for enforcement against imported food, and so it um, provides uh, more inspection and uh, uh, more uh, oversight of food coming in from other countries. Uh, the the um, Food Safety Modernization Act, when it came up for consideration in 2010, promoted a huge amount of debate uh, because farmers in particular uh, were fearful that this would uh, put the government into the um, uh, control of food producers much more than had ever been the case in, in the past. And that's, that is true. Uh, the, uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act uh, allows the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which is um, supposed to enforce it, uh, to have much greater power than uh, the agency had before. Uh, just as an example, they can now go uh, with the Food Safety Modernization Act. They are allowed to go uh, into the, around to the premises of food producers of farms and uh, conduct inspections and um, uh, uh, inspect and, and review their uh, financial records, uh, other business records, whenever they want, mm -hmm. uh, without uh, the need for a, a search warrant or without the need for some kind of a, uh, an, an outbreak of illness that might uh, suggest that they, they uh, uh, do some more investigating. So, um, and, and the other thing it does that's um, a big change is it puts the FDA into the business of regulating farms for the first time. Farms have really been kind of off limits to regulation, aside from um, the, the inspection of, uh, of dairies and ins inspection of, um, of uh, certain producers of meat. Uh, but... Um, for the most part, farms, especially those that say grow uh, roots and vegetables, have been pretty much uh, um, on their own. And now, uh, with the Food Safety Modernization Act, the FDA can come in and, and say, you know, uh, uh, and develop criteria for um, compost and for um, crop rotation and for water. And uh, this is something they never had the authority mm -hmm. to do before. And, and Actually, the, the Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, even though it was passed in early 2011, it hasn't really been enforced yet. And the reason is that the FDA has been busy developing standards for all these kinds of things, for compost and for, uh, for water and, and um, for soil and all the things that are going to go into regulating uh, and enforcing the Food Safety Modernization Act. Uh, probably going to begin uh, next year with pretty uh, with this intensive enforcement and I think a lot of farmers are going to be in for an unpleasant surprise when that all starts. Mm -hmm. David can you summarize a little bit about a case you talk about in your book regarding Alvin Schlangen in Mi Minneapolis this seemed to be one of the few cases that had a positive outcome in favor of food rights can you tell us a little bit about that case? Sure Alvin Schlangen is a farmer in Minnesota, a couple hours outside of Minneapolis, and he uh, used to be actually in the egg business, uh, selling uh, eggs uh, on a large scale, 
and uh, decided he didn't want to be kind of a factory farmer and uh, uh, altered his operation, uh, adjusted it to serve uh, uh, individual consumers on a private basis. And so he um, developed uh, relationships with um, neighboring raw dairies and um, uh, meat producers. He continues to produce his own eggs. And um, uh, he organized a food club and with a uh, 150, 200 members, people who wanted this uh, um, food produced the old-fashioned way. And um, he was going about his business when the Minnesota Department of Agriculture uh, decided that uh, uh, that what he was doing was illegal because he didn't have certain licenses. Uh, he didn't have a retail license. He didn't have a food handler's license. He didn't have a dairy license. And uh, the, the state conducted a couple of raids on his farm, on his trucks as he was delivering food, and uh, eventually filed criminal charges against him uh, for failure to have these various licenses. And these were charges, uh, misdemeanor charges, that uh, once you have criminal charges against you, 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 could go to, you can go to jail and pay pretty hefty fines. And so he, um, he had these criminal charges. The other, the, the, I guess the the, what you might call the, the good side of this is that when you are charged criminally, you have the right to a trial by jury. And uh, one of the things we've seen in these various cases around the country involving small farms is that when they simply are about violation of licenses and they go uh, and, and there are uh, um, and the farmers are charged with these with these violations. Uh, they are not necessarily criminal violations. So the, the cases go before either um, hearing officers at the agriculture department or they go before a, a state judge. And in, in, in all of these cases, whether it's a state judge or hearing officer, the, the, the uh, rulings are almost always in favor of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the judges are, you know, I guess you could say they're employed by the, uh, by the state and they tend to be sympathetic towards the regulators. And so they have always ruled in favor of uh, the state and, and against the farmers. Uh, in the case of, of Alvin Schlangen, once they filed these criminal charges, it, 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 and he, he, he got to go in front of a jury. These are, um, these are ordinary citizens. And he had a jury of six people, and I think it was a three-day trial uh, that uh, uh, occurred uh, just a little over a year ago. And the um, jury debated, I think, four hours and uh, acquitted him of all the charges. That was a, a huge change, and it, it sent a very important message to the regulators that, um, that, the, uh, that ordinary people uh, can, aren't necessarily in agreement with what they are doing. And um, so uh, Alvin um, was free to... Uh, continue organizing his food club. It was a, an interesting uh, situation uh, uh, because um, not only was he acquitted, but uh, once he was acquitted, he got uh, all kinds of uh, new members, people who had read about his case mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> liked his, his operation and, and they uh, uh, wanted to join his food club. So it turned out to be a kind of a, um, I would say, an unusual kind of marketing uh, campaign for, for Alvin. 
You talked about a Rosa moment. Was that was that it, or what was the Rosa Parks moment in the food uh, movement, food rights movement? Yeah, I I, I guess uh, you know there's as I said one of the one of the big challenges here has been the farmers get uh, charged with with various uh, violations and they go in front of a judge and then they they invariably lose and uh, it's a situation not unlike uh, what was happening in this country to blacks uh, before the civil rights movement came along Mm -hmm. Uh, blacks in um, the south would get charged with uh, all kinds of um, uh, crimes that they they may not have had anything to do with but uh, uh, they they would uh, get in front of a white judge, and they would um, uh, generally be convicted, and and sometimes in front of a white jury and be convicted. But um, once uh, that all uh, uh, changed, when uh, woman Rosa Parks stood up in a uh, actually she she stayed seated in a bus in uh, Alabama, and when she was supposed to have told to move to the white only, excuse me, the black-only section, and uh, she uh, said she wasn't going to move, and that 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 particular incident really sparked the whole civil rights movement. And I think for for in the food rights area, there's been kind of this um, search for or or longing for this uh, similar kind of moment when a farmer would stand up and say, "No, um, right. I, I'm not going to do it." And then uh, the the, um, uh, the system would be exposed, or it's uh, for, uh, the system would be exposed for the problems, and that's kind of what happened with uh, Alvin Schlangen. Right. Okay, David, we're going to take our last break. Listeners, today my guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights, and we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers Radio Show. three letters in the alphabet that strike terror in most of us. These are the three letters you need to avoid at all costs. I-R-S. If the IRS is coming after you for $15,000 or more in back taxes, you don't want to fight them alone. You need the help of the tax resolution experts at U.S. Tax Relief. They've helped thousands of people like you eliminate up to 85% of their delinquent taxes. If you qualify, U.S. Tax Relief can settle your tax debts for less than you owe, remove penalties and interest, and protect you from bank levies and garnishments. If you owe the IRS at least $15,000 in back taxes, call U.S. Tax Relief now for a free consultation and see how much money they can save you. Call 800-989-1694. 800-989-1694. 800-989-1694. 800-989-1694. For thousands of years, 
people from the Brazilian rainforest have used the acai berry for its amazing health benefits. Now we've learned it's also an amazing weight loss supplement. If you're looking to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds or more, then the Ultimate Asahi Diet may be your solution. The Ultimate Asahi Diet is loaded with pure organic Asahi extract powder and other great herbs like hudia and green tea. You'll burn fat, control your appetite, and get an energy surge like you've never felt before. If you want to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds, order the Ultimate Asahi Diet right now. We'll even give you a free bottle when you order two, plus give you free shipping. Call 800-430-4147-800-430-4147. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show. Today, my guest is David Gumpert, author of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. And David, I was wondering, has it been your experience, as far as the mainstream media goes, do you know, do they really check or look into the information for accuracy when it's put out by FDA and Center for Disease Control and those types of organizations? Or do you think they pretty much just regurgitate the information that they're given and then present it as fact? sense of it is that they pretty much regurgitate what they are given by the FDA and the CDC. And they, the reason they do that is that they think that they are intimidated by the fact that these people tend to be scientists or scientifically oriented. And uh, they, the reporters often feel that they don't have the background or the wherewithal either the data or to fully evaluate the circumstances of, of some of these cases. And it's unfortunate because uh, it, you don't have to be a, a, you know, a Ph.D. in statistics to pull apart some of the data that the uh, CDC in particular put, pull, puts out about um, uh, either foodborne illness or about, uh, say, raw milk safety. Um, they, they're just all kinds of inconsistencies, and they're all kinds of of um, uh, issues with the way they present the data. Oftentimes they really present it in a way to try to make uh, it look like we have a serious food safety problem when oftentimes we don't. David, I heard you in another interview talking about food sovereignty and how communities are banding together and passing ordinances regarding food sovereignty. Do you see this continuing to rise in that area? Well, just to uh, explain, uh, food sovereignty is uh, a term given to a movement that sprang up in Maine, and uh, a number of of activists there became um, concerned about all these uh, judges' decisions that were going against farmers, and they said, you know, there must be another way of... of, uh, kind of approaching this whole issue of private sale of food uh, between farmers and individuals. 
and what they came up with was the idea of uh, uh, proposing ordinances, uh, actual laws uh, within particular towns, and they began uh, uh, proposing ordinances in in their uh, towns and on the coast of Maine, small towns of just uh, of a few thousand people, but uh, and these are towns where they have town meetings and people turn out and decide on what the laws should be, and these uh, ordinances began to be passed in uh, 2011 and 2012, and now there are 10 towns in Maine that have ordinances that allow private sale of food between producers and consumers outside of any kind of uh, state or federal regulation. Mm -hmm. So in those towns, the the regulations don't apply in in the private sales. Now, the state got very upset with this um, because uh, they, they, they... take this, uh, this power that they have pretty seriously. And so they've challenged uh, one of the towns. They, they uh, filed um, a request for an injunction against a farmer in one of the towns, a farmer who was selling food privately. And uh, they actually convinced the judge to uh, go along with them. And so uh, in that town, the, the uh, ordinance was essentially... Uh, invalidated, even though it's still unclear exactly if that's really what the judge meant, or if, he just, if she just meant it to be applied to this one farmer. But in any event, that case is on appeal right now, and the towns in question are, are continuing to go about their business as if the ordinances still apply. These ordinances have uh, caught interest uh, around the country, and now there are towns in uh, Vermont and Massachusetts, and in all the way out to uh, California and Arizona that have passed um, uh, food rights uh, ordinances or food sovereignty ordinances, they refer to them uh, as well. And so um, uh, there, uh, I think this is part of a, um, a larger kind of a movement toward a community involvement in food decisions. Um, uh, individual communities uh, on a, either a town wide basis or sometimes even a statewide basis are getting involved in in food issues. We're seeing a, a examples of that now with a re, um, respect to the uh, GMO issue, genetically mm-hmm. modified food. And uh, in fact, just uh, today, uh, there's a, um, a, uh, a vote in Washington state over whether a labeling of food that has genetically modified ingredients in it. And these uh, uh, these proposed ordinances or laws or um, petitions or whatever are springing up around the country. I, I think it's something close to half of all the states have proposals now uh, in some way or another to require uh, companies to provide labels on their food when they contain genetically modified ingredients. I see this as a, just a, as another outgrowth of this community involvement in food decisions. Right. What would you say to someone who says, well, you know, this food rights doesn't really concern me. I shop at the chain grocery store, and as long as the food's there, I'm good. Do you think in the long run they should still be concerned? I mean, I, I think people... Uh, need to become concerned about the quality of the food that, and the safety of the food 
when I, and I, when I speak about safety, and I'm speaking about more than pathogens, uh, I think they should be concerned about things like um, antibiotic residues and about overprocessing and uh, GMO ingredients. Now, many people can uh, prefer to kind of stick their head in the sand and, and not uh, either not uh, investigate or or not listen to what's going on, and that's their privilege. I mean, that's I think one of the uh, I'd say uh, underlying uh, tenets of, of food rights is you know you you have the choice, you have the right to decide what food to put in your body. Mm-hmm. And if people want to go to the supermarket and put put uh, uh, you know overly processed food into their bodies, um, that's their privilege. I mean, that's yeah. their right as as, as Americans and. Uh, uh, you know, I, and that's partly why I I am concerned when we have these laws that are being proposed or passed, like in New York City, where they try to um, uh, limit the size of soft drinks, and you, you can't have soft drinks over a certain size because they want to limit sugar intake. Well, I think that's an admirable goal to limit or reduce uh, people's um, uh, consumption of sugar. The, the problem with that is um, you, you, you start limiting what foods people can access and you slide down a slippery slope and right. we've seen that uh, we've seen that with uh, regard to um, uh, with uh, regard to raw milk and, and, and we're seeing it with, with regard to uh, uh, say uh, uh, farm slaughtered custom slaughtered uh, meat um, we're, we're seeing it in schools now they, they, they banned schools have banned peanut butter because more and more kids are allergic to it and the reason more and more kids are allergic to it is because it seems because as our food supply has become so sanitized that kids don't build up uh, immune responses anymore so you get these um, kind of un- uh, you slide down the slope you get these unintended consequences and um, uh, you get more and more restrictions and that's uh, kind of what uh, it's, it's not the right direction for us to yeah, I mean, you wonder if one day they're they're not going to allow people to have potlucks in their own private homes with friends and family. Well, they already are. That's already come under attack. I mean, there there have been uh, there was I, I talk in my book about one Nevada farmer who was visited by public health authorities just as she was hosting a um, uh, what do they call them the farm. Um, it was like a, a dinner, fork, I farm, think. Farm to fork yeah. dinner, or, 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 or yeah, farm to fork dinner. And people were just about to sit down and eat, and then public health authorities show up and say, well, wait a minute, we didn't inspect this. You can't do this. And uh, it, 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 this particular uh, event turned out all right, but it was only after they, they threw away a lot of food, and um, uh, they had to kind of uh, start over. But it was a, a traumatic thing. But there have been um, uh, lemonade stands that have been shut down. Yeah. Um, there have been, uh, uh, in some places, bake sales have been uh, banned. Uh, and you know we church suppers have run into trouble, and so um, you, you, I mean it, it's 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 uh, all part and parcel of the same kind of uh, attitude that uh, everything is subject to regulation, and uh, uh, it, it's it's just um, becomes uh, I would I sometimes refer to it as regulation on steroids. Mm-hmm. All right, David. Well, we're just about out of time. Can you give your website address again? Sure. It's uh, www thecompletepatient.com. I also have a personal website. Uh, my name, it's www.davidgumpert.com. 
davidgumpert.com, D-A-V-I-D-G-U-M-P-E-R-T.com. And um, uh, those are probably the best places to find uh, articles I've written and to uh, link to the book Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. Well, listen, David, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today. Again, listeners, the book is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the True Seekers radio show. Until next week, God bless. Did you know a sugary drink contains around 200 empty calories per can? This is registered dietitian Jim White. It's no surprise, extra sugar means extra calories. This can result in weight gain, offering little to no nutritional benefit. Nutritionally sound beverage choices are water, 100% fruit juice, and low-fat or fat-free milk. Cutting out sugary drinks allows you more room for fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, and low-fat dairy. Visit eatright.org for more healthy tips.